So Ellie is going to come up and do our reading now before Chris comes to speak to us. So our reading is John 15, 18 to 25. It's on page 1083 of the Bibles. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. be good before we look at that passage just to spend a moment praying together let's pray father we want to thank you that you give us your word it's a word which you've told us is there to uh, teach us to train us to rebuke us to correct us and at the very heart is to make us wise for salvation help us lord to listen to what you have to say to us this evening Help us to hear your voice, not a human voice, but the voice of God speaking to us tonight as we come to that passage from your most precious word. Amen. 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 Um, I wonder how you felt when you heard that reading. Um, when I was first asked to preach, uh, I was not going to be available tonight, and I looked at the passage and thought, that's great. Um, but unfortunately, God had other plans and changed what was happening, so I've got this passage to look at. And I must confess that the word hate, which, or hated or hates, which comes up so many times, has two great echoes for me. Um, the first was when our son was young, and he used to tell us he hated, well, he used to tell us he hated his broccoli. I could give, go with that, but when he started telling us that he hated his younger sister, we had to talk with him to try and understand what it was that was going on in his heart to try and get him to moderate his feelings. Because there are two places around the world that I visited where hate untrammeled, hate unrestrained is felt and can be felt just in the places themselves. One of them is close to a beautiful city in northern Germany, a city called Sella. Just outside that city is an old Nazi concentration camp called Belsen. And as you wander around, there are mounds, humanly built artificial mounds with numbers on them. 2,000, 3,000, 5,000. And underneath, just one word in German. The word translated dead. In that place, Hatred, 
hatred of a particular racial group in, uh, in the main destroyed the lives of many, many people. Similarly, in just the, uh, the capital city of Cambodia, Phnom Penh, there is a place which is now known as the Killing Fields, where people were taken from what looked to be a very ordinary school building, taken out to be killed. And there are similar places in other, in other parts of the world. There are places in Rwanda, and now today there are places in Ukraine as well, where human hatred, uncontrolled, has brought death and destruction to many lives. And so when I was reading that passage, I wanted to take a step back. And that I would like us to do, just before we look at the passage this evening, just take a step back and say, well, what is the context? What is going on as Jesus is talking to his disciples about the hatred that they are going to face, about the persecution that's going to come their way? The first thing, and something which I'd never really thought about, was this is part of a, a meal time, a few hours that Jesus spent with his disciples. But in John's Gospel, as we have it today, it takes about five chapters of a 21-chapter book. Just a few hours in a three-year ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you turn pages, it's about six out of 24, so slightly less than a quarter. I haven't quite worked it out if you're trying to swipe on a phone or a tablet as to how you actually judge how big a bit it takes. I don't think there's a, a metric swipe size just yet, but maybe that's something that somebody ought to invent. But clearly, this was a really important part of Jesus' time with John. John, it mattered so much that he gave a really significant part of his account of Jesus' life to just these few hours together. And those few hours started in chapter 13 with something that we're told. In John chapter 13 and verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, who were in the world. He loved them to the end. And this is the context of those few verses that were read for us. This is Jesus demonstrating his love for his followers, for his disciples. In one of the other New International Translations, it says he showed them the full extent of his love. So let's look at this passage saying, okay, how is Jesus demonstrating his love to his followers in what he has to say. And first and foremost, he tells us there's something they should keep in mind. In verse uh, 18, in, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Keep in mind that it hated me first. And I wonder if you were to ask one of your friends one of your neighbours, one of the people that you study alongside or work alongside, what word springs to mind? Or what idea springs to mind when you think about the person of Jesus revealed to us in the Bible? Maybe I'm showing my age, but I still remember the words of a, a Charles Wesley hymn which talks about gentle Jesus, meek and mild. And yet when we come to look at the accounts of those who spent time with him, 
who watched him, who heard him preach, who saw the miracles he performed. One of the things that is so clear is that they paint a backdrop of rejection, of hatred to much of his ministry. And it started at a very early age. We're just going to pick up three examples from the Gospels. The first, when he was a young baby, a young child. Matthew tells us the time when the wise men came to visit King Herod. And they asked the king, where is the one born king of the Jews? Now Herod knew nothing about this baby. They knew, he knew nothing other than the title that he'd been given. But that title brought a welling up of hatred in the heart of the king. And when his sneaky plan to try and get the wise men to tell him where Jesus was failed, he sent soldiers and killed every male child from two years and under in the town where Jesus had been born. Hatred at the very beginning of his life. Hatred with no real knowledge of who he was. Hatred just because of a name, a title that he'd been given. And then in Mark's Gospel, in chapter 3, there's a time early on in Jesus' ministry when even his family misunderstood. And they tried to take him away. I was talking to Naomi of some of the clients which she has. People who are, for various reasons, unable to be allowed from where they're uh, kept. And they wanted to take Jesus away because they thought he was out of his mind. A hatred that came of misunderstanding. And then, of course, towards the end of all of the Gospels, we gradually see that working its way towards what's going to happen just a few hours after this meal is concluded. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And Jesus pointed to it. He knew that it was coming. He warned the disciples. He told the disciples what was to happen. But at this point, as they're having a meal together, for them, it's an unknown quantity. The full reality of the hatred that will be poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He'd introduced that period by saying that he must be rejected by the elders, put to death, and then three days later, rise again. And we know that Christ's death on the cross was a, a crucial, a crux event in an ages-long conflict between good and evil, between heaven and hell, between death and life, and between destruction and salvation. But it was also a human element, a human event. So many hundreds of years before, one of the great prophets says that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That hatred was going to be poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ in just a few hours' time. He was going to go within 24 hours to his death on the cross. And he warned them. He reminded them that they should keep in mind that the world first hated him first. There are two things I'd like to just remind myself, really. One is, I can sometimes take Jesus going to the cross almost glibly, easily. 
but in the Garden of Gethsemane, where these people were just going to go to. It took Jesus an agony of time with his heavenly Father. He pleaded with his heavenly Father, if it was possible for salvation to come any other way, if it was possible for the cup to pass from him, and in a mystery that we can't understand, it took him three times to pray that same prayer before he was ready to go to the mocker of his trial and all that would be happen on the cross on our behalf. Never forget how close, how close our eternity was, almost in the balance. I can't understand how the perfect son of God had that struggle, but he did. And we need to remember how hard it was, even for him, to take our punishment, to die for us. But the other thing is why he did that. Why did he do it? We've got that answer already, haven't we? It's because of his love for us. There's an old hymn that says, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. The followers, the foundation for all that they had become as Jesus' followers and friends was his unswerving, his utterly determined love for them. Keep that in mind. Keep it in mind in our lives. Keep it in mind in everything that God has for us in the days ahead. Christ knows and he took that route to Calvary because he loves us and gave his life for us. Something to keep in mind. And then we have something to remember. In verse 20, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. Now, when I get to my age, short-term memory can be a bit of an issue. And for these disciples, that's what Jesus was reminding them, because he'd only told them that at the very beginning of the meal, just after he'd washed uh, their feet. He says in chapter 13, verse 15 and 16, Sorry. Verse 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If we are God's people, what can we expect in our lives? Um, there was a, a man famous in his day as a cricketer. Um, any keen cricket followers here? A few? He was so famous, he actually played in the match that led to the production of the Ashes as a test. This man called C.T. Studd, wealthy man in his day, but God called him. God called him to go and follow um, Christ, first in serving him for some 30 years in China. Then he came home. At the age of 53, God called him again, this time to Africa. And on his desk in Africa, he had a card, a postcard. And on it was written, 
the words which I think we're going to have on the screen. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And here's the reminder that if we are truly God's people, if he has bought us at such great cost, then he can call us and he can require of us, well, whatever, because we belong to him. And those early disciples, he was warning them, he was giving them advice. I don't know if uh, any of you have been on a plane recently. Um, I seem to remember they, seem, they give you a warning. You go on a plane of the sort of things that might happen. And um, if my memory is right, if you get a depressurization of the cabin, there will be a mask to give you oxygen. If you have smoke in the cabin, there'll be lines to show you the way to escape. And if you land in the sea, there'll be a slide for you to get out and you can use that as a thing. I think, and you've probably heard that once or twice in your travels, but uh, seen that. And Jesus Christ is saying to his followers, things may happen. And we look at those disciples that were there in the upper room, we can see that for some of them, things did happen. As he went out from the room to Gethsemane, he asked three of them, Peter and James and John, to come and pray with him. James was killed. We read about his death in Acts 12. Peter was threatened with death, was thrown into prison, but was then miraculously released. And John spent many years serving God, but towards the end of his life was put on an island in exile because of his faithful service of God. Not all of them suffered the same, but each one of them found that God had prepared for them things that he would wanted them to do. And I wonder about us. Over the years, the Christian church has been in existence. Sometimes God has called people to different areas of difficulty, of hardship, of persecution. Think of the early Methodists 250 years ago. They were known as enthusiasts, as a term of abuse. Well, actually, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then a bit of enthusiasm sounds quite encouraging, really. Surely we should be enthusiastic about what he's done. But that meant that for many of them, they were banished from the churches where they'd served. They weren't able to continue serving God in the way that they had. And I wonder about some of us. I can still remember going home as a young student and finding that people in my home didn't want me to be enthusiastic. My father had this wonderful phrase, moderation in all things. But if Jesus Christ is God and died for me, do I want to be moderate in my serving of him? We have a, a friend we've come to know in our times visiting the country of Myanmar. He grew up in a Buddhist home, but he liked reading, and somebody gave him the Bible, and he read. And as he read, he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ for himself, and his family threw him out. It was five years later before he was able to go back and see any of his family. For him, in God's goodness, the only place that he could find to give him a home was a Bible college. 
And he studied in that Bible college. And he became a lecturer in that Bible college. And the last time we saw him, he was the principal of that Bible college. But it took five years for him to go home. And there are others too, some who've been baptized here in this church, where they cannot go home. Where there are places in the world that to profess Christ means that they will be expelled from their homes. They will lose their jobs. Some would even face the threat of death. That's unlikely to happen to most of us here in the UK. But we will face hatred. We will face persecution. We will find that we're ostracized. We will find that people will exclude us from some of the things that happen. We will be treated differently because we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. What will God call you? What will he call me to do? It doesn't stop when we're young. I went out for lunch with some friends, uh, people that I worked with before I retired. And they used a, a phrase which I hadn't heard for many years. Oh, Chris, are you still a God-botherer? I thought, I'm in my 60s. Does that still happen? And the answer is, yes, it does. What will God call you to know as one of his followers? Something to remember. And then most importantly, there's someone to know. There's someone to know. Um, these followers, these people who come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, they knew where they were. Peter, the first time he saw the power of Jesus at work, said, go away from me, because I'm a sinful man. They realized that they were cut off from God. They realized that their sin, their rebellion against God, meant that they had been banished, rightly cut off from God. But over those three years, through their knowing of the Lord Jesus Christ, they had come to know God. So in chapter 14, I think it is, that uh, Jesus says to one of the followers, Philip, if you see me, you have seen God. They'd come to know him. And as we read through John's gospel, one of the great promises is that we can know God. People like you and me, people who know when we're honest with ourselves, know that we have said things, we've done things, we've, we've acted in ways that do cut us off from God. We have the possibility of coming to know God for ourselves. And it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other route by which we can come to know God. But through him we can. And when we come to know him, we receive the gift the great gift that Jesus Christ came to bring, the gift of life, the gift of life in all its fullness, the gift of life for eternity. And so in chapter 17, in verse 3, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And in our passage, Jesus sets up a, a contrast, a contrast between those who know God and those who don't. We see it at the uh, end of uh, verse 20. 
If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And as he looks through the rest of those verses, he's really just looking at those who don't or don't yet know God. And the first thing about them is that they hate God. Earlier in the gospel, Jesus has said, this is God's work, to believe in the one whom God had sent, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. A great uh, thinker of a few hundred years ago put it this way, the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you do, can do to him is not to believe that he loves you. Let me read that again. The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him is not to believe that he loves you. And there around them, the people who were outside that room, some of them had come close to putting their trust in Christ, but then they'd fallen away, they dropped away. They had treated God with that unkindness, to reject the one he had sent, to reject all that they had seen of the Lord Jesus Christ, to turn their backs on him. But just go forward a few weeks, and 3,000 of them change. Because the door of the upper room would be open. By the power of the Holy Spirit, there would be those who would put their trust, their faith in Christ. But until they did that, and unless they did that, the other thing that was true of them, that they were in their guilt, they remained in their guilt. But the message that Christ brought to his followers was a message that those who should by rights remain in their guilt can know the reality of forgiveness, can know the reality of a new relationship with God, can know the reality of knowing God. And that, that offer of forgiveness is still true today. In conclusion, can we just look at just verse 19? Because there, Jesus asks two questions. He says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So let's just ask those two questions. Where do you belong? Where is your home? Paul, writing to a, a church, said, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Is that true of each one of us to here tonight? More importantly even than that, who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? It's an old an old song, an old chorus that says, now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not 
for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Is that true? Is each one of us here this evening? As we continue in worship in a moment, we may find, yes, I can answer that here tonight. I know what it's true, and I know that I want to say that that's true, surrounded by Christian friends, enjoying the worship and the fellowship. But it may not be so easy if you're going back to a home where you're the only Christian. Not so easy if you're going to a place of work where you'll be isolated because you're a Christian, left out of some of the things that your friends and colleagues do, facing challenges in your studies, your workplace. But Jesus says this at the end of chapter 16. I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Hallelujah that we serve such a saviour.